Good evening. We are thankful again for your attendance this evening. We've got, of course, uh, several who aren't able to be back with us. As we said this morning, we're thankful for the good successes of all of our number who have been able to be back with us. And many aren't able to be back on Sunday evening. We certainly understand that. But we appreciate your willingness to be here tonight as we study together for just a few moments. Yeah, I thought I'd challenge Charles, and I thought unless he went to the uh, popular cultural realm of music, uh, we might not have many songs about Mary. We could certainly find find many, and so you can go ahead and get the idea out of your head now of Charles leading Proud Mary from the pulpit. We knew that wasn't going to happen, so I'll give you a second to kind of set that aside because it was kind of funny to me, too, to think about it, but... Uh, um, I appreciate him and others, many of our song leaders. Uh, Don usually gets a panic text on Thursday morning or Friday morning to, before he turns in his songs to remind him or tell him that I've chosen a particular topic. And uh, several of you heard me say this. We said it Wednesday night in our class in here, but a few of us were able to go to a, a church health and growth seminar a couple of weeks ago, and they talked a lot about our worship. And we came away with some ideas and some things, and one of those is to have a theme, of course, through our songs. And it helps when the lesson is about the cross or faith or something like that. It may not be as much help when it's on something like the Marys in the Bible, but it helps us as our song leaders try to do that, and we appreciate them taking that time. Our lesson tonight uh, is going to be about three Marys. I wasn't sure how the, the color of the font would show up there, but I think it's all right. I hope that you're constantly reading and studying things. I find myself trying always to listen to other lessons from other preachers and things like that. There are many good journals and articles and, and things like that that are written. We're looking at the spiritual sword right now, a particular um, part of the spiritual sword on Wednesday nights. If you get that, you can obtain that. Um, the Gospel Advocate is another good one, and that's where this particular lesson is going to come from. I was reading through the August edition of this year of the Gospel Advocate, and I found this article. It was titled this way and sort of just took a very brief look at the three Marys or three Marys that are found in the New Testament. I thought, well, that would be interesting for us to try to take that and expound upon that. I think there's some lessons that we can learn tonight and make application for our lives. You know, biblical names are sometimes, or using biblical names are sometimes a bit of an interesting thought. You think of people like Joseph or James. Those are good biblical names. There are sometimes biblical names that seem like maybe even strong names that you might pick for your child. Uh, but even something like Joseph and James are, are names that are used of multiple people in the Bible. And so you've got to take time to look and to be sure of whom you're reading about as you look through those. Is this, uh, this particular James or another James? We see them often described with either uh, some type of description or a middle name. And so names can be interesting. There are certainly other names that we would choose not to use. We often refer to Ahab and Jezebel. I don't know if you know any Jezebels. I'll apologize to them up front if you know any, but that's oftentimes a name that we don't associate with people, not only today, but even for years now. Many people will stay away from an Ahab or a Jezebel. Those are names you may not want associated with your children when you think about uh, names from the Bible. So very often when we're thinking about names or people, we must study. We must go through there and take the time and, and look deeper into the text, even relying sometimes on other sources of information to kind of put the, to connect the dots for us to think about who we're talking about. Well, tonight we do want to talk about Mary, and although I gave Mary Robertson a good scare, they're going to be the three Marys or three Marys from the Bible. She had that look on her face when she came out the door this morning, wasn't sure if she was going to return tonight, but we're glad she did, and hopefully we can benefit from thinking about these three ladies. When we think about the name Mary, we have to look for some type of qualifier, even as Charles knew 
found the song but had to look at the words to pay attention to think about from Scripture which one this is discussing. And so tonight, let's think about some of the characteristics of these ladies. And not only that, but these things that might distinguish them from one another. Uh, but maybe even there are a few lessons that we can apply to our lives. And hopefully you will see as we go along that these three women were full of these characteristics. This is not something we're just pulling out of thin air. But as we look at the, what we know about them, even if it's just a little bit, we learn enough about their character and about them that we can make application for us. I was thinking even this afternoon and kind of studying just a little bit more, we often love to study biblical characters. We, we love to look at these people and to think about them and to put ourselves in their shoes. There's something that we can learn, and so we hope to do that tonight. The first one is going to be the suffering Mary, and this is going to be Mary the mother of Jesus. I hope that you have your Bible handy because we're going to do some flipping tonight. This morning we didn't have a whole lot of other verses to look at. But let's begin tonight in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Specifically, we're going to begin in verse number uh, 35 is the verse we're going to read, although it's a whole 10 verses here. We talked about this just a few weeks ago when we talked about a couple of weeks on the birth of Jesus. And we looked at the things that surrounded that birth. And we talked about... In Luke chapter 2, as he is presented in the temple by his parents, he meets a few people. One of those is going to be Anna, who bears witness, the prophetess that we read about in verse 36. But when you back up, we meet Simeon. And Simeon is a devout man, it says there, who is just and devout. And he has been waiting, if you recall, waiting for this Christ child to come. And as he holds this child and marvels at the child and the parents, in verse 28, he takes Jesus in his arms and bless God and he says... And he says several things here. And as we go down to verse 34 and 35, he looks at Mary, the mother of Jesus, and he says in verse 35, Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Tonight we're going to look at three Marys, but there are three points under each one. Now, yes, some of you may do the multiplication and say that's 12 points, but we're going to go through them very quickly, so don't panic on me there. But we're going to look at three specific things from each Mary. This first one is the suffering Mary. Here, Simeon makes this statement, and if you're not careful, you blow right by it. You don't think anything about it. But Simeon sets the stage here, although some of it has already even occurred, for the life of Mary, and specifically in her relation being the mother of Jesus. I didn't have room in the bulletin to leave you a lot of section for these other notes, but you can maybe jot them down to the side. Again, three things about each one. The first one we notice here about the suffering Mary, she suffered socially. This has already happened. When Simeon makes this statement, it's already happened. She has suffered socially because of her unique role as a virgin bearing a son. I probably will repeat it several, several times tonight. But put yourself in her shoes. I mean, this is a miracle. All right, so this is not something you could even really think about doing if you don't know this story and this doesn't occur, but her unique role as a virgin bearing a son. Not just a son, but God's son. She finds herself in the precarious position of trying to live righteously, trying to do what's right, and she knows she's not done anything, right? You know, when somebody says, we say, well, I know what you were up to, or if this happened, you had to have been doing something. No, she knows nothing has happened and occurred, but yet here she is with child. 
And so she's going to suffer socially. You may recall in Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 19 that Joseph even goes so far, Matthew records for us, that he was going to put her away secretly. This is a problem. This is a social problem. Mary, what are you doing? We are good people. We're upstanding. What has happened? What have you been doing? I'm going to put you away. So, again, this morning we even talked about our suffering for just a few moments. And we compare that sometimes. And we say, well, I don't suffer like Paul. And that's true. But yet, here she is suffering in a social sense. You can imagine, even in the first century there, or even all the way back, that the gossip train was probably running full force. Right? People are looking at her. People are talking about her. And so she's going to suffer, and suffer socially. But secondly, she's going to suffer physically. Here in the physical sense, if you've got your Bible, turn first of all to John chapter 16. I'm going to quote here from Genesis, but when you turn to John 16, you may notice in verse number 21, she's going to suffer physically in the sense of childbirth. It is in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 16 that there God is talking to Adam and Eve and specifically to Eve. He is going to say, in pain, in pain, you shall bring forth children. Jesus goes through this a little more in John chapter 16 and verse number 21 as he says a woman when she is in labor has sorrow because her hour has come but as soon as she has given birth to the child she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. I don't take exception with anything Jesus says, but my wife still talks to me sometimes about the pain, all right, of of having a child. And some of you women are laughing because you've done the same thing to your husbands, all right? So I don't know that they forget it, but all you mothers, some of you are already smiling at me because you remember the joy that comes along with that as well. That's what Jesus is talking about here as I'm being facetious for a moment. But certainly there is suffering and pain, but yet immediately almost there is great joy as this mother then makes this connection with this child that, of course, she has had for hopefully up to about nine months. But, but there is pain that is involved. We go all the way back to Genesis, and God sort of makes that promise, a promise that he's going to upkeep, and women are going to have to suffer, in a sense, uh, for many, many years to come through this childbirth. Turn over, if you turn to John 16, to John 19, because she's going to suffer in a second physical sense. In John 19, verses 25 through 27, where we see that she is physically suffering because she is physically at the cross. I will talk more about this in just a moment, but, but Jesus suffered physically. We, we know that. We understand that. And you mothers may even begin to understand just a little bit. Maybe if you've seen your children suffer just a little bit, the physical pain and sorrow she might have felt there at that moment. So she certainly suffered socially, but also physically. And then for this suffering Mary, she suffered spiritually. We already talked this morning about Jesus' brothers in John chapter 7 and verse number 5, that even he couldn't, he couldn't even make his brothers believe. Did, did she suffer through that? Quite possibly. A couple of others, real quick. Look in Luke chapter 4. I'll turn with you here as well, very quickly. Luke 4, 16 through 27. But then it continues on later a little bit towards the end of that chapter. But Luke 4, 16 through 27, Jesus is rejected, but he's not just rejected by anybody, he's rejected by Nazareth. We go down to verses 28 through 30, and all those in the synagogue were filled with wrath, verse 29, rose up and thrust him out of the city. 
He's not just rejected, but he's rejected by his hometown. A mother watching her son be rejected by his hometown. And then Mark chapter 3 and verse number 21. In Mark chapter 3 and verse 21, the wording is a little different there, but it says, but, and the New King James says, but when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Now, when you look at commentaries and, and writers and things, the, his own people, many people think that is his family. That is his closest people. That is his family that are rejecting him. And they're saying he is crazy. He's out of his mind. So she is certainly going to suffer socially, physically, and even spiritually. But as I said a moment ago, the ultimate suffering the ultimate suffering on the cross. Almost, we would even dare say, torture of her son. Virgin birth or no virgin birth. It doesn't matter. It is her son hanging on that tree. It is her son that is suffering on that cross. And she's suffering with him. We may not know much else about her life, but she was certainly a suffering Mary. The second Mary that we're going to talk about tonight is the worshiping Mary. If you've got your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 10. Some of you will be filling in your outline, and as you're doing that, then you can be turning to Luke chapter 10. This Mary is Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Now, when we read the Bible and we try to put all this together and we connect all the stories, this relationship with Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Jesus we don't get a full picture of. We don't know exactly the connection maybe or when it happened or when it began, but suffice it to say it was special. Again, three points. There's at least three times that we read about them interacting and connecting. So Mary and Martha and Lazarus are heavily connected to Jesus. First of all, in Luke chapter 10 and verses 38 through 42. Jesus detours here into Bethany and is welcomed into their home. So the first time we're going to look at here is at Jesus' feet. Now, you know this story, you women especially, you've heard this story. They welcome him into their home. Martha is very busy doing the thing. She's uh, distracted. In fact, the New King James says distracted with much serving. I would say she's got good motives. I mean, she's not trying to ignore Jesus, but she is busy distracted, if you will, with much serving. She's got good motives, but she takes to the work. She's being a homemaker. She's taking care of these things. And Mary, the Mary we're talking about in this instance, sits at the feet of Jesus. No doubt, again, hanging on his every word. She, she wants to hear. She wants to know exactly what he has to say. It's like if someone in business wants to sit with Bill Gates or with someone else, Warren Buffett, who'd, who'd been, had a lot of money and been able to be successful in these things. If you had five minutes with him, you'd sit and listen to every word. Mary says, he's here. I'm going to sit at his feet and listen. And of course, as Martha sort of rebukes uh, Mary, in a sense, as she says these words to Jesus, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve? And Jesus says that Mary has chosen the good part. So here we meet them, and they're at Jesus' feet, or certainly this Mary is. The second one is in John chapter 11. John chapter 11, really almost the whole chapter, John 11, 1 through 44. 44 verses at the death of Lazarus. 
You may recall in John chapter 11, this is where Jesus wept is, of course, as we think about that. But we begin to see a little glimpse of this relationship. Recall in John 11 in verse number 3, Therefore the sisters sent to Jesus and said, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, as far as we know, there's only one he, and the message probably was told to Jesus. It's from Mary and Martha, but yet there was no, no need for other qualifier. He whom you love is sick. So the connection here is strong. We see in verse number 6 there of John 11 that Jesus is delaying. We see it already on down in verse number 17 as well, that he has been delaying to come to them. And in verses 21 and 32 both. 21 is Martha, 32 is Mary. As Jesus gets there, they've got some words for him. In verse 21, Martha says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And we picture it, it's a bit of a rebuke, a mild rebuke from Martha and then Mary in verse number 32. But we picture it with the suffering, with the begging and the pleading almost. If you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. I don't know that they're angry, but they're hurt. And they're wanting to say, you should have been here. You loved him, and now he is dead. We go over to verse 32 there, and Mary says the same thing. But notice her position at the beginning of verse number 32. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet. I needed to distinguish the points here, but we could have made at least the first two, and certainly all three, Mary at the feet of Jesus. She was the worshiping Mary. Now, if you're there in John chapter 11, you may not even have to turn a page in your Bible. John chapter 12. Because in the third place, we read about her costly oil. Now, Jesus may have departed for a few days, and then he's going to come back to Bethany there in John chapter 12 and verses 1 through 11. They're at the home of Simon the leper. We read that in another place. This story actually is so important, it would seem, that in all three of the Matthew, Mark, and Luke gospel accounts record this for us. So I think it's in Mark, I hope I'm not uh, stepping out of bounds there, but I think it's in Mark maybe that it points out that they are at the house of Simon the leper. But although it's his house, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, by the way, returned from the dead, Lazarus, who was just dead a few days ago, is there. They're at this home, and true to form, what do we read in John chapter 12 and verse number 2? Martha served. It was in her nature. Again, we may give her a bit of a hard time in the previous point, or in John, or Luke chapter 10, but in, here in John 12 we see it again. She is serving, and true to form as well. In verse number 3 of John chapter 12, we find Mary, the worshiping Mary, at the feet of Jesus. Now you may have heard this before and again you may be familiar with this story but it's estimated that the oil that she was using and the reason that she is rebuked in verse number four and five by Judas Iscariot is that the oil she was using was worth possibly up to 300 days worth of wages. A year. I don't know how much many of you have made over the years per year, but if you can imagine taking an average year's worth of work and spending it on one, I may have been this tall, it don't matter, one little jar of oil. And so she is rebuked for spending this oil on the feet of Jesus. And of course, again, Jesus points out that she is worshiping and the good in which she does. 
This Mary was truly a worshiping Mary. Every time we meet her, she's at the feet of Jesus. And then the third, this was the light font or light color I hoped you could see, the proclaiming Mary. And this is the Mary Magdalene that we've already sung about just a few moments ago. The proclaiming Mary. Mary Magdala, Magdalene, depending on what you're looking at, uh, the version you're looking at, or the history context that you're looking at, you may see a few different names. Now, this is a Mary that is mentioned ten times, and all of the times that she is mentioned is, uses this second name. So again, we're trying to distinguish there probably were a lot more than three Marys there in that day, but we're trying to figure out which one we're talking about. And here it is, Mary Magdala or Mary Magdalene. There is much, much speculation about this Mary and even error that is taught about her. Some of you may be familiar with this. A few years ago, there was the one particular book written by Dan Brown called The Da Vinci Code. And in that book, there was, uh, it was a lot of excitement. It was a little short on truth. Uh, but the idea that there was a bloodline, but from Jesus and Mary Magdalene. And uh, again, there's a lot of excitement in the book. It's written to, it's kind of a thriller kind of story, but very short on truth when it comes to Jesus and Mary Magdalene. But there is a lot of error that people believe when it comes to her. If you've got your Bibles, Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. First of all, we're going to see that this Mary proclaimed. And so uh, to make room here, it doesn't say, but, but she proclaimed him, first of all, as a deliverer. In Luke chapter 8, at the beginning of the chapter, specifically verse number 2, it says, and certain women, or it says at the end of verse number 1, and the twelve were with him, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. So the first way that we meet her, or the first point we're going to make tonight, is she proclaimed him as a deliverer. She was a proclaiming Mary as a deliverer. She had seven demons. Don't read much more about that. And those had been cast out. Now, in Luke chapter 8 here, it says that they were just cast out. It is in Mark chapter 16 and verse number 9 Mark 16, 9, that Mark records for us that it was Jesus who did this. Again, many of you know the synoptic, synoptic gospels trying to connect it all, and we try to do that, and people can help you with that, have books in our library on that. But it is in Mark that we read that it was Jesus. He did that. So she is, a pro, she is proclaiming that he is a deliverer. Think about it even as we said it this morning. She had firsthand knowledge we made the point in our lesson about the fact that people there in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament had miracles. Jesus is standing there doing these things. So she's not just someone that's going from town to town sort of whispering or telling people, look, there's this guy coming and this is what I've seen him do. She could say to some people, look at me. Do you remember the way that I was a day ago, a week ago, a month ago? Look at me now. She could say, look at me, but she could point to him. There are her and several ladies here that we read in Luke chapter 8 who were traveling about with the apostles and with Jesus, and they were providing support. It says there, if you're still in Luke 8, at the end of verse number 3, that they provided for him from their substance. Probably different words there, depending on the version you're looking at. But she is able to travel around. 
I mean, it's, it's, it's somewhat humorous, but you recall, you know, in the early days, in the wagon traveling days, that someone might go from town to town, and they're trying to sell their potions or whatever they've got, and they may even bring along somebody and say, look, I healed this guy. And nobody knows. Nobody knows for sure. You know, it's just some kind of magic they're professing to be able to do. But she's traveling with Jesus and she is proclaiming, he delivered me. And you can see from my change that he can do these things. And he is confirmed as a messenger from God. Secondly, she's going to proclaim his sacrifice. Go with me back to John's account. This time, John chapter 19 or excuse me, first of all, John chapter 19, again, that we were at just a moment ago. John 19, 25 through 27. This proclaiming Mary proclaimed him as a sacrifice. How? She was there. You see there that Mary, his mother, is there. And even a second Mary. And at the end of verse number 25, Mary Magdalene. She proclaimed his death. Where were the twelve? They're not there. She was there. She could proclaim him as a sacrifice because she was a witness. Again, maybe not the same thing as her mother or as his mother. His mother is there as a mother watching her son. But this Mary Magdalene has traveled with him. She's watched him. She's followed him. And in the same sense, she is suffering with him even as his mother did. But she's able to proclaim him as a sacrifice. And then third and finally this evening, if you're there in John, John chapter 20 and verses 1 through 18, she can proclaim his resurrection. How? She was there. She was there. You notice in John chapter 1, and again, I may be connecting a few things from some of the other gospel accounts there. But as she goes, and one of the accounts tells us that it was with other women that go there, and they get to the tomb, and the stone is rolled away. In verse number 2, she goes and she finds Peter, Simon Peter. And she's upset. She is bothered by this fact. She actually proclaims the good news here in verse number 2. And we find her later in verse number 11, if you're still there in John 20. She remains at the tomb weeping. She's weeping because she has become the suffering Mary in a sense. They have taken her Lord once and crucified him. And now they've taken him twice. And I cannot imagine what she feels like to think she has lost him again. She's watched him suffer on the tree and die. She goes to find his body and it's gone. And she thinks that someone has taken him. Even as verse number 12 there, she meets two angels and they ask her why she says they have taken him again. He is missing. But the first person that he appears to, and I think it's in Mark 16 again and verse 9, the first person that Jesus the Christ appears to is not Simon. Not his brothers, not even his mother, but it's Mary Magdalene. It would appear from Scripture in the different accounts that at least twice, both in Mark and here in John verse number 2, that she runs to proclaim Jesus. She runs to proclaim the good news, although she spends part of that time worried of his resurrection. Once again, this Mary was known for her proclaiming. Three women... Three Marys. Three separate lessons for us to learn. We suffer. 
We can suffer too, just as his mother did when Jesus is rejected today. And even as the Hebrew writer says, is crucified anew or afresh. Do you remember that passage there in Hebrews? That every time someone turns their back on Jesus, not just in the sense they're, that they're lost, but come to know him and turn their back, we crucify the Savior afresh. We suffer when Jesus is rejected, just as his mother did. Hopefully we worship, just as Mary did, when we honor him as the Son of God, and we proclaim him, as Mary Magdalene did, with our baptism, when we're baptized into Christ, by partaking of the Lord's Supper, we proclaim him, and even in obeying his simple, yet precious, and certainly most important commands. The difference between us and these three Marys, of course, is they were there. They could reach out and touch the man, the Savior, the Son of God. We can't do that, but we can make a connection with the emotions that they felt, suffering, worshiping, proclaiming. We can follow in their footsteps and share that same type of emotion with the world and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Do you need to become a Christian? Do you need to come back to him? Trust in him and that his promises are sure and obey his commands, even now as we stand together and as we sing.